Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. What I'm going to do today, it will be probably a little bit unusual in that sense. We won't be based in one text in the Bible alone. We're going to go to different bits of the Bible. We're going to try and look at the person of the Holy Spirit and his work in the Old Testament. So some people refer to the Old Testament as the Hebrew Bible. It's basically the scriptures that were written before Jesus came. And um, in the, with the coming of Jesus, um, you get loads of stuff coming to its fulfillment, some things changing, moving. And next week, we will look at the person and work of the Holy Spirit from the time of Jesus onwards. So I'm probably going to just raise some things, um, put some things to whet your appetite, some things that you might go, I want to go and study that a bit more. I won't answer all of your questions today. Um, it's, it's impossible. But I just wanted to say, if you come away with questions, you want to study more, that's a good thing as a result of today's sermon. I want to stimulate your mind. I want you to get thinking theologically. I'm going to start off with a controversial parenthesis. What is a controversial parenthesis? I hear you ask. Well, it's a parenthesis, which is controversial. Uh, what's a parenthesis? I hear you ask. It's when you go off the main idea just to, to something that's relevant, but it's off the main idea. Um, so we're going to start with that. I thought, should I? Shouldn't I? I think, yeah, I think we should. It'd be good to talk about it. And then we will get into the Old Testament and look at the personal work of the Holy Spirit. If you're new here, if you are new to church, you're very welcome. Um, I will try to explain terms as best I can. Um, I was told once a few years ago, I've never forgotten it, I was told never to underestimate anyone's intelligence, but never to overestimate their knowledge. So I'll try and explain stuff because you, know, you may not have read what I've read, etc., but I'm not going to underestimate any of your intelligence. I'm assuming that you're all going to be able to follow through. People tell me frequently my sermons are simple. So there you go. I don't know how to take that. I choose to take it as a compliment. So <laughs> shall we pray? Uh, Father, thank you that we can be in your presence, Lord, that the Bible says that even though we don't see you, we believe in you. Lord, that we don't need to see you with our naked eye to know and discern your presence. And we thank you for the presence, your presence among us by your spirit. Thank you that as we've been singing songs and meditating on gospel truth, your spirit has been ministering to us. Thank you you've been reassuring us. Thank you you've been freshly washed in gospel truth today. Thank you you've been encouraged. Thank you we have been challenged. Lord, we, we, just, we love being around your presence, your truth. And we pray that your presence would work through my words, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, let's go into the um, controversial parenthesis. I have noticed in conversations with Christians over the last couple of years only that frequently people have begun to drop the definite article when talking about the Holy Spirit. Anyone else notice that? Maybe you do that. Drop the definite article, which I'm about to explain. So I knew that wasn't a question. I knew you were just digging me out there saying, explain. Um, I was about to. The definite article, so an indefinite article grammatically is, is a or an, so a river. Um, when you use the word the, that's called a definite article because you're the river. You're talking definitely about that thing there. So we talk about the Holy Spirit more and more in conversation. As I've, as I've been just in chatting to Christians, they've, they've said things like this. Um, I was praying the other day and the Holy Spirit said to me, I've gone. And you go, oh, you old traditionalist, what's the matter with you? You know, you're probably just not used to it. And you sort of have these little dialogues in your head. And this week I thought, well, I'm preaching on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to contact four theologians that I know. 
and say, what do you think about this tendency to drop the definite article in conversation about the Holy Spirit? Now, some of you might be thinking, does this really matter? Do you know what I'm dealing with in life? Uh, I get that, and um, I'm going to say, yes, I think it does matter, um, because I think that how you live your life and all of the various urgent things you're currently deal with come out of a centre. And all of us, you know, many of us will have different centres. If you're a believer, then you're saying, God is at the centre of my life. Who he is, what he's done, and therefore the knowledge of God um, and the, the way that you relate to God is absolutely central to all of these other really urgent and, in quotes, relevant things. So it's important that every now and then we, we go off on a parenthesis and say, can we just talk about this a little bit? Um, it is important and it is relevant. Um, and hopefully you'll see why in about five minutes' time. So I contacted all of these theologians. and said, what do you think about this dropping of the definite article? All of them came back to me with concerns about it. I thought, ah, oh, let's, let's, let's talk about what is going on here. Now, why, why are people doing it? I think it's coming out of good intention. I think it's because the Holy Spirit is a person, and when you talk about the Holy Spirit, it doesn't sound very relational or personal. For example, you don't talk about the Steph. That would be weird. Right? You talk about Steph. Right? Why? Because I'm a person. Yeah? So well, the Holy Spirit sounds a bit, you know. So I think there's an intention there, which I think is admirable. But what we don't do is mess with the way we talk about God unless there's good reason. The Jews, do you remember the Tetragrammaton we talked about a few months back? The what? <laughs> the covenant name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, articulated in the Hebrew alphabet with those four letters, you know, which we, in, in our alphabet, so Y-H-W-H, there's no uh, vowels in the Hebrew alphabet, and, this, and it means I am what I am, I will be what I will be. It's God's covenant name, it's the way God revealed himself, and they wouldn't even write it down. Such was their reverence over the name. Which is why in your Bible you see the word Lord in caps, in capitals, that's in place of Yahweh. Why? Because it's the name. You don't, such was their reverence. So when we come around the way we talk about God and his name, his titles, we do have to be really careful. And just make sure if, if it works and if it's biblical, fine, let's roll with it. But if it's not, then we may need to just stop and just ask ourselves um, about that. The term Holy Spirit is only used three times in the Old Testament. And it's never with an indefinite article or a definite article. The reason why is because twice it's his Holy Spirit and once in prayer, Psalm 51, it's don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. What you do have in the Old Testament is 14, the Spirit of God, and 23 times the Spirit of Yahweh, the Spirit of the Lord. But you see the definite article is there. Uh, what about in the New Testament? In the New Testament, we're just going to jump there for a minute, Dave, because I'm just trying to make the point on this parenthesis. Um, you'll find 90, 89 or 90 um, references to the Holy Spirit. 71 of those have the definite article. Obviously, the remaining 19 don't. But where they don't, because of the context, you can see that, that it, there's a reason why it's not there. Um, so the context insinuates it strongly. So what, is, what, is, what do we need to do about this? There's a, when people, when, when um, scholars translate the Bible into English, there's reasons why they do certain things. 
So the reasons why it's the Holy Spirit is this, is because the Holy Spirit is not a personal name in the same way that Jesus is. We don't talk about the Jesus. It's Jesus White, that's his personal name. The Holy Spirit is a title. That's what's different. So you've got these three words, the, meaning we're about to talk about someone very specific, right? not, not one, of an, one of any number, this is a the. Okay, there's only, holy is an adjective. Set apart. Completely different. Spirit, because God is spirit in his essence. He's not physical in his essence. Obviously, after the incarnation of the word becoming flesh, now you have, you know, in, in, in the Son, you know, you have the fullness of God dwelling in bodily form. But God, you know, God is spirit. So the Holy Spirit is talking about the third person of the Trinity, but it's a title probably more than it is a name. Now, why am I making a point of this other than to just try and, you know, is he just is he one of these guys? He's really, you know, he's really pedantic. He picks up on everything, splits hairs over everything. That is not what my heart is. It's to do with formality and informality. If, if through doing this you're trying to make the Holy Spirit appear more informal or your relationship with him more informal, I just want to say this. Our relationship with God is both formal and informal. It's not one or the other. So we don't really get it because we talk about God as Father and in the West, because we're an egalitarian society, we automatically go to Father's just about intimacy and closeness. Biblically, it is about that, but it's also about huge respect. Huge, I, mean, I know people from cultures where when their dad walks in the room, they have to prostrate themselves on their face. That's just normal. Now, if you're culturally English, you're going, what? It's, a much as a, it's as much a critique of our culture as it is of that culture. We are not sitting in the objective middle or the high ground here. It's just different. But biblically, for sure, the father had the power of life and death, which is why Abraham was able to take Isaac up that hill when God asked him to sacrifice him. He had the power of life and death, and it's why Isaac you know, yielded to what was going on. Isaac probably wasn't a little boy when it happened. He was probably a teenager. Could have fought off the old man. Didn't. Why? His father has the power of life and death. So we have it. So I think this, I'm just trying to say, let's be careful that we don't create an informality that is more a reflection of Western culture rather than being shaped by the Bible where there is intimacy, Abba Father. Absolutely there's intimacy. We see the Last Supper, John reclining on the breast of Jesus. There's this ease, praise God, through the blood of Jesus we've been singing about. We have that confidence in his presence. But it's, so it's the friendship, but it's also the fear. And as we hold those things together, you develop a healthy relationship with God. And you're able to obey him when he asks you to do difficult things. Why? Because he's not just your mate. See? So does that make sense? So I'm just saying, I just want us to just think about this stuff and, you know, not just follow uh, um, sort of trends and fads. Maybe someone wrote something online and, it, you know, it sounded really great. And, you know, if we, but maybe they don't understand, maybe they're not scholarly. Maybe they don't understand how this thing works. So if you ever find yourself phrasing things in a way you think, it just doesn't sound in line with the Bible. Stop there and do the research just because we want to make sure that we really do honour and take care with God without becoming uptight and all of that. But you want to, it's, it's care, we want to be careful, don't we? I, don't about, I, don't, I, I want to tread carefully before the presence of God. Um, it's good advice to do that. So that was the controversial parenthesis. Did you enjoy it? 
You guys are very kind. Thank you. Okay, Genesis chapter 1. Turn in your Bibles. We're going to look at some different scriptures today. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to this. In the first three verses of scripture, we, we have a Trinitarian kind of a, a texture coming through. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, there's your Trinitarian text there. So God normally referred to in the Bible is normally referring to the Father. You've got the Spirit hovering over. And God, who's the Word of God? All things were made through him. So mysteriously in that sense, even there you've got, when you get to the New Testament, Jesus is the word of God. You realise even there you're seeing the triune activity of God right at the beginning there in creation. This wonderful phrase, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You find that, that word hovering two other times in the Old Testament. One of the times it's talking about an eagle kind of stirring up, stirring up its nest. It's this kind of idea of kind of brooding over. And so you've got, you've got this kind of vortex of chaos. You've got these, you've got a planet that's been created but it's, it's, there's no form, it's void, it's just kind of, it's, 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 a, it's like a, the idea of just empty and without any kind of genuine kind of form to it, the Spirit of God is hovering and is a brooding and then as a result of the words of God, the, the Spirit is about to bring order where there's chaos. So I'm just trying to look at a few scriptures in the Old Testament today and, and go, what does this teach us? about the Holy Spirit. That even today, I don't know about you, I just felt so, man, my feet got washed in the praise. Anyone else's feet get washed in the praise today? So this is, I'm, just, I'm just hearing the gospel again and again and again. And it's like, you know, it's almost like hearing it for the first time. This is, this is just what I need every day. And you just know, you just sense the Spirit of God hovering over us, brooding over us. You might say, I've got chaos in my life. He can bring order. You might know there's darkness in my life. He can bring light. I just, why can't I grow there? Let the Spirit of God hover over you. And through the Word, through the power of what Jesus does, do things you can never imagine. Listen, we, we had on, on GC on Wednesday, a little plug for GC. Whoop, whoop. We, um, we split into group, three groups and we did um, just testimonies of what the Holy Spirit's done in our lives or what we've seen him do in other people's lives. Man alive. I mean, we, did, we went for about an hour. We could have gone on and on and on. You go, there's so many stories around and just through different conversations with you, I know about how the Lord healed you of that thing when you were a teenager. You know, I know about how God provided in that most extraordinary way. He is hovering over us. He is indwelling us. Hallelujah. And then, and then when, he, when he creates Adam, I love this picture in, in Genesis chapter 2. We're, sorry, we're told chapter 2 verse, um, where is it? 2 verse 7. It says this, it says, <clears throat> The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and here we go, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, you may not know this, but the word for breath and wind are the same word for spirit. Okay, So he breathed, it's a, what, what an image. Breathed into his nostrils. Anyone ever had anyone breathe into your nostrils? What that, must that be like? <laughs> and the man became a living creature. Right? So he's just this kind of inanimate thing in that sense. And the, the spirit of God comes in. Whew. The Spirit brings life, hallelujah. 
And, and, and perhaps the reason why we need to keep fighting for the personhood of the Holy Spirit is because there are these images of wind and breath that, that seem more impersonal. But actually, breath is a very personal image. If you feel someone's breath on you, you know they're what? They're close. They're probably too close. But breath represents, it does. If someone, you feel someone's breath, you know they're nearby. It's proximity. They're close by. When God comes by his spirit, what is he doing? He is breathing on us. It's wonderful. Day of Pentecost, you look at that next week, but you know that sound of that rushing wind. It's the breath of God. It's magnificent. He brings order. He brings, he brings life. Here's another thing to say about the, Holy, about the Holy Spirit. The leaders of Israel, so like the kings and the priests, the way that they would be established in their position, and we still see, you would have seen it today with the coronation of King Charles, is by what? It's by rubbing in oil, which is called anointing. And what would happen is, is the prophets would find, you know, the, 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 the priests or, or, or those who were, God was setting apart to be a king, and they would anoint them. But it wasn't just like it's merely a symbolic thing. So let's look at the anointing of David uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. If you haven't got a Bible with you, you can just follow along. I'll read it to you. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. It says this. It says, um, Samuel took the horn of oil. Samuel was the prophet. He'd been sent to David to anoint him. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So this anointing, it represented the Holy Spirit. It, it, it meant something. It was a real thing. This is why we, when we pray for the sick, we will often anoint them with oil. It's, it's not the oil isn't the Holy Spirit. It's a representation, but it's meaningful. It's, it's why the Bible says, you know, if, if anyone's sick, let them call the elders. They'll come, you know, and pray the prayer of faith and anoint them with oil. And you know, the sick will be raised up. There's something in the act of faith in doing that, where God uses this physical property as a representation. But then His Spirit is the one who comes and does. The work, But here what we see is really, really important. Among the people of God, those who are called to lead are anointed by the Holy Spirit. It's not just that you're clever. Praise God. <laughs> it's, you know, or that you're, you're from good stock. You know, or you're moneyed. In order to be able to genuinely lead the people of God fruitfully, you need to be anointed. You need to know the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life, that you've been set apart, that you've been appointed and anointed. So it's so important you know, when you're thinking about things like you know, sort of taking on responsibility, saying, Lord, fill me with your spirit for this. I don't want to just do it in my own power. I don't want to just do it by power of personality or by you know, just, kind of, you know, just kind of, I don't know, I've got some skills. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Praise God for personalities and skills. But there's that extra thing, which is anointing. We say, no, I need the Holy Spirit. Because whenever you're trying to do anything spiritual, you're immediately out of your depth. Do you know that? Paul says, who's sufficient for these things? What have we got ourselves into? Who's adequate for this? You can't serve God effectively without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so actually, the, 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 you know, the most fruitful spiritual leaders are those who are just dependent on God. And say, Lord, I need you. I can't do this. I can't make disciples. I need your spirit. Yeah, so we see that as well. Another thing uh, that we obviously see is, uh, as remember, Ubi was with us just before Christmas, and he spoke to us about you know the word the Messiah, the Christ, which means the Anointed One. Obviously, we remember obviously King Jesus, the one that who came 
and who died for our sins, we've been singing about all morning. He is the Christ, which is the anointed one. And at the start of his ministry, do you remember what he said? He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. He knew he could do it. Why? Because he'd been anointed by the spirit. He was baptized, didn't need to be baptized. He had no sin. But he said, no, we're going to do this to fulfill righteousness. The heavens open, the spirit of God comes upon him in bodily form like a dove, a voice from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And then led into the wilderness, tempted for 40 days. And then he comes out in the power of the Spirit. And then we have the ministry of Jesus. Right? There is a, there is a very, very direct link between the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and all the amazing things that Jesus did in his ministry. And there's a reason why Jesus could look at his disciples and say, well, you're going to do this stuff and more. You see, if Jesus was doing what he was doing solely based on the fact that he was the only son of God, he wouldn't have looked at his disciples and said, you're going to do the same, would he? It's blasphemous. He's saying, what I'm doing here is as one who is filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who's ever read the book of Revelation and thought, who are the seven spirits of God? Anyone or just me? Well, there is debate among scholars about whether it's the seven kind of uh, most sort of famous named angels um, that were kind of well known in the Jewish community um, you know, in the intertestamental period. But I think the weight of scholarly opinion takes us to Isaiah 11. So if we go to Isaiah 11, we will see this wonderful description. Again, a, a prophecy of Jesus. But look at what it says. It says... Isaiah 11 verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's dad. Obviously, Jesus was born from the line of David. And a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And listen to this, count on your fingers every time I say spirit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, that counts as two. The spirit of counsel and might, that counts as two. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, that counts as two. And so many, what many people say is, is that this is talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, but it's kind of like, you know, phrases like, you might have heard the sevenfold Spirit of God, but these are like the main, the, 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 the big attributes, if you like, that the Holy Spirit brings. And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you should expect, he's the Spirit of the Lord. So you know the presence of God when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, he's the Spirit of wisdom. Wisdom, wisdom is different from knowledge. Knowledge is there, but wisdom is different. Wisdom is you know what to do in any given situation. In the very complex situations of life that come up, you don't rest on your own wisdom. The Spirit is given and you, he shows you a way through that is completely divine. Not only the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding. So spiritual understanding, what's really going on in a situation, what's going on in the unseen realm, what's really driving things here rather than just what I see and feel through my own you know, my own kind of upbringing and my own culture or whatever. It's something that transcends all of that. The Spirit of Counsel, so kind of that, that sort of sense of you know under, understanding from the Lord. Lord, speak to me. Lord, speaking to my heart. Lord, this is going on. That kind of sense of you know he's, he's he's there with sound advice for you. The spirit of might, power. Some some Christians are afraid of the power of God. You need the power of God. You need the power. You you cannot afford to be afraid of the power of God. You need the power of God. Without the power of God, you will be overcome by other powers. Anyone hear that? <laughs> you will be overcome by the power of your own internal desires, you know, the things that take you away from God. Powerful. 
desires of the flesh. Powers of, you know, dark forces, oppressive forces, evil spirits. It's all out there and it's all real. There's the, there's the spirit of God has been given to his people and he's a spirit of power, amen? He gives us power to overcome so we can live in the light of God and the good things he has for us. The spirit of knowledge, so just, you know what, Lord, teach me. I've got my own opinions about what life is, but Lord, teach me. Don't, I don't want to be the person who decides my own knowledge, weird ideas and things, and YouTube and whatever. No, Lord, show me, what, show me what's going on. Keep me from that. Conspiracy, paranoia, no. What's going on, Lord? Spirit of knowledge teaches us through the scriptures and the fear of the Lord. We told of Jesus, his delight was the fear of the Lord. Just that reverence, just that. Wow, I'm trembling, but it's kind of like that breathlessness. The closest thing I can think of, of the idea of reverence, actually, in our culture is when people see celebrities. Sad, but I think it's true. If you want to get a sense of reverence, it's when someone sees a celebrity they love and they go, well, funny. They're kind of really excited, but breathless and a bit weird and wobbly and all of that. That's reverence. That's, that's a wonderful feeling. You're beside yourself with like... Yeah, that's a wonderful feeling, but it's misplaced if it's there. There's one whose actual real presence, when you know him, is worthy of that. <coughs> is worthy of that. It's a spirit. They live in a place of reverence. Very countercultural, but very, 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 very powerful. The one thing I want to focus on and perhaps come into land on before we do some Q&A is just this idea, because this is what changes in the New Testament, this idea that what we find is, is that the Spirit of God came on certain individuals, like almost like special individuals for, for special tasks. So we've got Bezalel. Anyone know about Bezalel? Any artists in the house? Any artists? Quiet ones. If there are any, they're really, really introverted artists. Let's look at Exodus 31. Exodus 31, it's wonderful. If you're an artist, you will love this. It says this, Exodus 31, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, so this is about the building of the tabernacle. I've called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, tribe of Judah. I've filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood to work in every craft. Wow. There's an anointing for that stuff. Listen, I can testify from personal experience, there is an unanointing for that stuff. <laughs> My woodwork lessons were like, what? We've got the same tools, we're doing the same thing. Why does your thing look like that? Yeah, I'm looking at you, Johnny Stockwood, with your woodwork skills. It was awful. You think, I'm doing what you're doing. I'm sanding, you're sanding. Why is yours really smooth and all the grain is there? Why have there splinters everywhere on mine? What have we done different? It's a weird thing. Some people are practical, some people aren't. There's, there, it, these things come from God. These things come from God. But I think actually, actually, if we're thinking about it as spiritually as we can, you've got the tabernacle there, this physical construction. But what does it represent spiritually? The temple, which is what? The, the people of God. And so what, if you think about now, suddenly we've got Bezalel in our mind. He's, he's cutting stones. Who are the stones? Now. Living stones, us. 
built together to make a dwelling place for God. So there's a, there's a spiritual wisdom is given to work with people and to help cut them to shape so they can grow and, be, and show forth all the beauty of what God's put in them. It's wonderful. It's the Holy Spirit. So I think this has got direct relevance if you're kind of artistic and that. Look to God for you know, inspiration and all that. Absolutely. But if you are involved in the body of Christ, in the temple of God, in the church life, if you're involved in that and you're working with people, you're discipling, you're nurturing, you're, you're, you know, there's accountability, say, Lord, fill me with this kind of skill and insight and knowledge so I can help with what you're doing in this person's life to bring them forth to the radiance and the shininess God wants for them. Amen. Rely on the Spirit for that. That's what he does. Then also you've got, you've got so there's, there's, there's ability, intelligence and knowledge coming on individuals. You've got Samson for fighting. So you've got Samson and his donkey's jawbone and all that. Remember all those? Anyone read Judges for a while? Oh my goodness. I mean, I'm not being funny. I mean, it's inspired, but it's depressing. It's really depressing. It's the people of God are at a low ebb and it's crazy. And you get crazy people like Samson, who's anointed, but he's a nightmare. He's got zero self-control. He's, oh, I'm going to go and get that woman. You know, thinking, what is, what? what? What's going on there? Oh, I'm going to go and, oh, I know, I lost a bet with you for 30 clothes. I'll go and kill 30 guys and take their clothes and bring them back to you. Think, what? And he's anointed by the Holy Spirit, right? If, if any of you are sitting there thinking, God can never use me, look at me. Look at Samson, right? God doesn't use us because of us. He uses us despite of us. Do you know that? Some of you are saying amen, but you really don't believe this. This is massive. It doesn't mean you can do whatever you like, but it means you go, Lord, I, I, I know I'm not up to much, but you can still use me. It's wonderful. So you've got Samson. So he's you know, knocking out all the enemy with donkey's jawbones. But it's an image, isn't it, of what? Of effective spiritual warfare. It's an image. The Spirit of God comes on us. I'm not having this anymore. I'm not going to live under these lies. I'm not going to be crippled by this unbelief. I'm not going to be like we're here now. I'm not going to live spiritually jaded for the next 10 years because of that thing that happened. God, help me through that. So I can rediscover, you know, just that sense of childlike faith again and shyness. Lord, where's my donkey's jawbone? Yeah, some of you today, you've got to look around, pick it up and start whacking some things. Yeah, spiritually. Because <laughs> you're kind of under this, it's just as real as physical stuff. But the impact is just as real. Some believers, they live under like a cloak for decades. Because something happened, bad, maybe traumatic, maybe disappointing, whatever. Okay, But, but the enemy came in with it, spun the lie, spun the story. The, the, the believer believed it, believed the half-truth, the lie. Who comes the oppression? They live under that. They never come through it. They're still believers. They still love the Lord, but they're, kinda, they're not running. Holy Spirit and his kindness wants to help us to discover some donkey's jawbones and do some stuff. And then you've got, finally, the prophesying. When, when, people, when the Spirit came on people in the Old Testament, they always prophesied. One of them even stripped all his clothes off and prophesied. Like, don't even ask me. Don't ask me to go down a controversial parenthesis on that. I'm not going to do it. It's like there's stuff in the Bible that's kind of unusual. And stuff that you're not going to endorse as a pastor. <laughs> but prophesying. When the Spirit of God comes on people, they prophesy. And there's a great story, and I want to end with this story because it will set us up for next week's sermon. 
which is going to be absolutely cracking. Probably better than this one, but that's all right. Numbers 11. This is a great story. Numbers 11, verse 25, says this. Um, We'll go from 24. Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they... But they didn't continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, so two of the 70, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, right? So they're late for church, these two, right? So... If you're here today and you were late for church, the Holy Spirit might still touch you. All right? So, right, so Eldad and me, Dad, and the Spirit, the Spirit, maybe, the Spirit, the Spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they hadn't gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. And the young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and me, Dad, are prophesying in the camp. They're late for church and they're prophesying. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop him. <laughs> but Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Wonderful. That's the heart of Moses. That's the heart of God. And we're going to be looking next week into this subject of um, Pentecost onwards, really, you know, the floodgates opened and the longing of Moses there, the prophecy of Joel came a little time after that, the prophet who prophesied in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, says the Lord, your son and daughters will prophesy, your old men will have dreams, your own young men will see visions on, 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 um, on servants and all of, all of that and it gets fulfilled. We're going to look at that next week. But I wanted to just give you a sense, a taste, what your appetite around these things and, and start to build faith, right? Faith and hype are different. Hype is when you just try and get people excited. Hey, shout, hey, you know, that's hype. Faith is where you bring spiritual truth. You can demonstrate it's in the book. He said it. He's faithful. And you start going, right. If he said it and he's faithful, right. You, begin, you, you, you reach back towards him with a sense of, Lord, you've said it. That's powerful. And that is how the kingdom of God advances, through faith. Not through speculations and you know, genealogies and funny ideas and YouTube videos. Right? It's through faith. Nothing wrong with YouTube videos, but it's not how the kingdom of God advances. Right? In terms of, yeah, it's, through, it's when you go, Lord, I believe you said it. Now do it. It honours God. He loves it. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He loves it. And the spirit of God is one. He brings gifts of faith to us. So really excited for that.